This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Saturday, June 1st, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. Democratic U.S. Senator and presidential hopeful Kamala Harris hopes to address the gender pay gap by cracking down on different pay for identical job titles in large firms. Cato's Ryan Bourne looked over the proposal. He argues that the idea misses the mark in terms of helping women and shows a lack of understanding of the trade-offs made by both employers and workers. Yeah, this is a curious proposal on one level because the statistic that everybody worries about when they talk about the gender pay gap is this um, this evidence that full-time female workers are paid only across the whole economy about 80% of what full-time male workers make. And that doesn't account for any types of factors, what jobs or occupations people choose to go into, their degree of experience, time out of the labor force or performance or, or whatever. So Kamala Harris is using this hook, but what her legislation really is, is about is trying to police at the elbow companies to eliminate um, differentials in uh, the same pay for the same work. So it's really equal pay for equal work legislation that um, changes the onus and puts the onus on companies to show actively that they're not discriminating against women. And the way that she proposes to do this is that any company with 100 or more employees would have to report their pay differential between men and women, controlling for differences in job titles, experience of workers and performance. Now, that's all very, very difficult to measure some of those things and leaves a lot of room for creative um, accounting for those factors. But if the firms can't actively show that men and women are being paid the same after factoring those controls in, um, then there's the risk of being fined 1% of their profits for every 1% gap in pay. So really, I think this is a kind of heavy-handed measure that is trying to flip the onus onto companies and um, kind of strong-arm them into making sure that they are paying um, equally for what's perceived to be equal work when those factors are controlled for. So uh, with respect to uh, how companies would try uh, in good faith to comply uh, with this without having to pay a fine, my the first thought I had was, well, why don't we just create a whole bunch more job titles? Well, that's certainly one thing that they could do. Yeah, so if you imagine, the, if you take an example of a a cast for a movie or something and the and the production company is um, uh, employing all these different people to play different characters they could probably say in in good faith that every single job is different because each character is playing a slightly different role now you could extrapolate that across the whole economy and one could imagine that even um in, in a company a consultancy firm each individual has a completely unique job title and then negates the need um, for, for any of this reporting and means that there's zero pay gap by definition. So I think that would be something that, that companies would look to do. And also performance is incredibly subjective as well. Um, earlier this year, members of the US women's soccer team filed a gender discrimination lawsuit against their employers, the United States Soccer Federation. And they claimed that they were paid less than the male team despite more success. But how do you measure performance in the soccer industry? Um, performance is relative to other competitors. One could argue that the that the uh, the male soccer world is much more competitive in that regard. It's undoubtedly more lucrative because it attracts vastly more spectators 
and uh, finance into the industry. So, you know, there's a lot of subjective factors here which firms could play around with and create quite account, uh, you know, um, use creative accounting to to try to avoid these fines. But there is a risk here, and uh, I think that's what she's really trying to get across: that the government will be more actively policing this than than they have to date. And the idea that uh, discrimination, uh, the burden of proof ought to be on a business to prove that they're not engaging in some particular activity seems pretty onerous as well. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, it, you know, we we generally have a principle in society that you're innocent until proven guilty. That kind of this kind of flips that on its head. But I think it's almost worse than that because it's trying to impose this kind of technocratic view that that the only things that should differentiate pay between people in a firm are job titles, experience and performance and trying to impose a degree of sub, um, objectivity on this when actually there are many more factors that determine people's wages in in a market. Um, one One factor that obviously plays a lot into this is basic supply and demand. Again, if we think back to our production company hiring a cast for a, for a movie or a TV show, um, you could have a bunch of extras that are ostensibly doing the same, same work, men and women. Um, but if the men that you're looking for uh, all have to be people who are, for whatever reason, six foot seven and uh, kind of rugged looking, and there's very few of those available through agencies you're you're looking at, then you may have to pay them uh, more than you would for 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 people that didn't have as distinctive looks. likewise, there are there are many other factors that can differentiate pay in markets, and economists often talk about one thing, which is the, um, this phenomenon called compensating differentials. So one could imagine a supermarket chain, for example, um, that employs shelf stockers, and they may all have similar job titles, but some in warehouses and some in the supermarkets themselves. Now, that might look on the face of it like the same work, and if um, the workers have the same job titles, the same degree of experience, and are regarded as performing in a certain way, then under this type of legislation, they would be expected to pay the same. But it may well be that working in a warehouse on the outskirts of town at unsociable hours is just a less, a less pleasant um, work experience. And uh, and so companies may feel the need to pay higher wages for shelf stockers in um, warehouses simply to attract people into the industry. And imposing uh, a policy which which says that they have to all be paid the same if they have that same job title could lead to a huge shortage of workers willing to do the warehouse work and a huge surplus of workers willing to do the supermarket work. So there's many, many other factors that this doesn't take into consideration when thinking about why pay might be different between uh, men and women or indeed any types of workers that on the face of it have the same job title experience and performance levels. So what about... Uh flexibility of employment. I know that a lot of people uh, trade away salary essentially for, hey, I'm just going to leave at three every day so I can pick my kids up from school, so I can uh, do other things, uh, do maybe maybe a second job that's slightly different in, in order to make a little extra money. What does that, uh, you know, how do those kinds of factors uh way in her proposal. It, it seems like uh, her proposal would 
make employers be a lot more rigid about what they demand from every single employee at any given job title. I think that's right, yeah. I think the plan could have real unintended consequences, particularly for working mothers. Um, In the UK, similar legislation was introduced. It was even more crude than this, actually. It just um, asked firms to report their average um, gender pay gap, not controlling for any factors. Um, And so what happened is several companies came forward. Um, One that springs to mind is the energy and gas supply company there, NPower, and it reported it had a gender pay gap of 18% last year. But what it explained was that um, part of that, at least, was owing to the fact that it provided a range of benefits and flexibility measures for employees, which were offered to them, them as a quid pro quo for salary sacrifice. So they did things like childcare vouchers and flexible working arrangements. And as you say, people tra- were willingly trading off their salary um, to, to to take up those measures and women more so than men. So women faced with the choice between a higher salary and, and these other benefits were actively choosing uh, the other benefits. Now, under Harris's proposal, as I understand it, that would make the uh, that would show up as a as a gender pay gap or a contributing factor to the gender pay gap, making the company liable for fines. Uh, even though those compensation arrangements are something women evidently prefer because they choose. So, yes, I do think that this could have some unintended consequences for working mothers, and it will lead, I think, to firms not choosing to introduce some um, some of these benefits in kind, which are less easily quantifiable, that actually may be of of, of more utility to working women than the higher salaries. How might this affect uh, the decisions of employers to hire men versus women at all? I I know there are strange ways that employers uh, use to sort of screen applicants in ways that uh, may very well be discriminatory, but because they use these particular methods to uh, screen workers, they can't really be held to account for it. Yeah, well, when gender pay gap legislation like this has been introduced in other places, Um, what it's led to in some circumstances is firms outsourcing um, low-paid work, um, particularly when that work is is undertaken by women because that's a way of kind of getting the the disparity off the books, so to speak. So they've outsourced various activities, not least things like like cleaning jobs or whatever. Um, And often the outsourcing firms or the firms to which the activities are outsourced to have uh, less in the way of kind of benefits and and, um, good remuneration packages than the existing firms. So it can have unintended consequences in that way. This one's a bit more difficult to ascertain exactly what the impact on gender employment will be because, um, as I say, there is a degree to which firms can explain that differences in in pay reflect job titles, experience, and performance. Um, Obviously, this is onerous to companies to um, undertake, and uh, there are certain other things that may not be good for uh, employees as a result of this legislation. The fact that performance may have to be tracked much more than it is today in order to um, make the accounting credible. some jobs you don't want your your boss kind of leaning over you the whole time examining what you're doing 
um, and collection of information through back histories about people's work experience and and you know much much more um, top down heavy uh, tracking of of certain activities. So it's not entirely clear what the impact will be on the the gender balance in employment. Um, because of these factors, but I think that there could be those unintended consequences. But the main point, I think, is that this legislation just ignores that at its heart, the labour market is a market, and that as such, as with any market, it's bound up with subjective valuations of, of different qualities in a worker. It's bound up with free choices and the ordinary interactions of supply and demand. And with all of those different factors determining wages, it's incredibly difficult to try and use a kind of top-down approach to root out discrimination by just controlling for certain factors. And putting the onus on employers in that way, I think risk creating a, a real combination of false positives. So uh, finding discrimination where it, if you control for more factors is really not present. And as we've outlined in quite a bit of detail, firms seeking ways to avoid the fines or or adapting their um, policies towards workers in ways that could well end up hurting working women. Ryan Bourne occupies the R. Evan Scharf Chair in the Public Understanding of Economics at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. Cato Podcast.